Hi, I'm Mo, and I'm the master of the muffin. And I'm TJ, and I really have to go to the bathroom. Wait till commercial break, damn it! You're costing me money! Easy for you to say you just went before the show started. <laughs> and this is... It's still new to us, damn it! Welcome to It's Still New to Us, damn it. I'm Mo, he's TJ, as we just said, and we are here to watch every movie ever made to be the smartest people in the room. Bow before us. Yes, bow. Like in Wayne's World. Exactly like that. You're not worthy. Yeah, you're not. Jeremy. Jeremy. <laughs> Damn it, Jammy. Anyway, we are here to discuss movies, and this week's movie is Magnolia. Released in 1999, written and directed by P.T. Anderson. P.T. Yeah, P.T. Anderson. Do you think he changed that because of the other Anderson guy? Oh, he's got he's got a hate Paul W.S. Yeah. Anderson. <laughs> he's got the Resident Evil guy. How yeah. many times do you think he gets mistaken for him? Probably all the time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I love Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it's not not me. <laughs> Uh, the star is Jamie Blackman. I believe he played the child. Uh, he was in a movie called Double Down and Crown Heights, which is a TV movie. Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, and Cocktail. Ooh. Yes. Linda Dillon, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Captain America 1990. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> At least he played the Memories mother. Memories of you, girl. Movie's <laughs> so boring. It's so fucking bad. It's just did that review ever make it? To no, the- it didn't make no? it. No, because uh, I think we were going to watch... Uh, oh, God. Well, Memento, but we can never just get a time to do it. Yeah, yeah. that was probably it. Oh, yeah. We watched that movie for nothing. <laughs> we watched we watched that movie like four times, audience. I've watched Captain America 1990 more than I've seen the Captain America of today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking yes. awful. Yeah. Uh, Philip Baker Hall, Secret Honor, and Sour Grapes. And Seinfeld. And Seinfeld. He was the... Uh, library detective. Lute- uh, yeah, Detective Bookman. Detective Bookman. Yeah. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Happiness, Along Came Polly, Ricky J, House of Games, and Tomorrow Never Dies. William H. Macy, The Cooler, and Mr. Holland's Opus. Alfred Molina, Frida, and Species. Michael Murphy, Tanner 88, and Shocker. John C. Riley, Hard 8, and Sing, the animated musical. <laughs> yeah. Jason Robards, All the President's Men, and Dream a Little Dream. Laura Walters, Cabin Boy, and The Butterfly Effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was everybody who was in it. <laughs> Frankly, that, yeah, that's a huge cast. So. I know, I just Sorry went down Wikipedia, and I was just like, oh, I have to do all these things. Yeah, right. Even though I probably could have cut out, like, two of them, but I was like, no, what? Wikipedia says and you left out movie. you left out Julianne Moore. Of, I did do the Moore. Oh my god. Of Boogie Nights and Kingsman 2, the Golden Circle thing. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Continue the pattern. But that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we are talking about Magnolia. There will be major spoilers about Magnolia. Yeah. I May mean, I suggest you watch this movie because it is kind of like an event. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's an experience. Both ways. Like an event in a movie, just watching it and event. Just, I don't know. I can't really explain it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to explain how good this movie is. What's is kind of like a criticism of this podcast we just review good movies and we say nothing bad about them that's gonna change people. that's gonna Don't change worry. this was uh, not thought out when we chose yeah. our last even though we do have i do have my thoughts about this movie i'm not like good. i do yeah but we'll oh, get there's into certainly that. some things that we would i would change or yeah not change but you know it, it's an experience i don't know i think like how a movie's made like is this how you just make a good movie you just have a bunch of interesting characters and then something big happens in the final act and that just a great movie because I feel like uh, like a lot of great directors like do that. Like I know P.T. Anderson is like directly like influenced by Walter Altman because that's basically mm-hmm. a lot of Walter Altman movies. Just sure. basically you meet characters and then something big happens and that's it. But like, you can say that about any movie, can't you? You meet interesting characters, something happens and then that's it. But of course that's the flow of stories, isn't it? Yeah. 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 
So maybe I'm just overthinking it. But. Well, I think, then, and we'll get into it too, but I think that the whole story is to be juxtaposed with that beginning narration where it's just, again, it's like the other two we watch. It's a slice of life in a, a certain time period, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it really is about coincidences or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, ripple effects. The butterfly effect, if butterfly you will. <laughs> which I'm I'm sure is why uh, Melora Walters was cast. Yes, uh, probably not. But yeah, you got a lot of thoughts about this movie. Yeah. Okay, so I first heard of this film maybe back in eleventh grade. Mm-hmm. I was it spoiled it for me. My teacher spoiled it for me. Oh, don't spoil it yet. Don't spoil we'll it yet. Okay, it. we'll get. Okay, to we'll it. get to it. So I was like, I, w- I was waiting for the moment to happen. What I'm a like, son of a bitch. Well, I thought uh, like eleventh grade. I thought I'm never gonna watch this movie. Because <laughs> I was like, why would I watch Magnolia? Like, mm-hmm. for no reason. Because this podcast came up and I chose Magnolia, so that's mm-hmm. why I watched it. Um, so I know what happens, and watching it, it is an experience. You just go through these people's lives. And this whole movie, like, you can tell from like the first five minutes of the movie, is about loneliness. It's about the loneliness of these people, how they deal with it in different ways. Uh, Tom Cruise, loneliness of his father leaving him. And Hold now. on, I want to get to a synopsis first. Okay, get to a synopsis, that's true. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. I just, before we start mentioning specific characters, yeah. this movie is a whirlwind. It is absolutely a whirlwind, and I will say that my only uh, knowledge of the movie, I knew nothing about it, other than that Kevin Smith didn't like it and wrote a negative review of it, mm-hmm. and then later saw Paul Thomas Anderson in a doctor's office uh, when he was getting a physical done for one of his movies, and Paul Thomas Anderson came up behind him and just said, Hello, Kevin, how are you? And he was like the most polite guy. And Kevin Smith said, You know, I felt like such a shithead after that because this guy, my back was turned to him. He could have hit me with a steel chair <laughs> for ragging on his movie. Yeah. So that's all I knew is that Kevin Smith didn't like it. I hadn't even looked on Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. I had no idea what the general mm-hmm. consensus of this movie was. But yeah, um, before we dive deeper, we will get into a synopsis here Magnolia is a large genus of about 210 to 340 flowering plant species of the subfamily Magno... Oh, oh sorry. Uh, wrong notes. Uh, synopsis. On an unusually rainy day in the San Fernando Valley, a handful of seemingly unrelated characters find their lives flipped upside down. Among them are a dying Hollywood producer, his trophy wife, his nurse, a former child prodigy, a drug addict, a game show host, a humble police officer, and the world's most upfront incel. The events of their days, their highs and lows, seem to center around the airing of an episode, or are framed rather, around the airing of an episode of the long-running game show called What Do Kids Know? As tensions flare and more about these characters' lives and motivations is uncovered, Magnolia crescendos with a memorable and unforeseeable climax that will leave viewers aghast. In the end, not a lot of hilarity ensues, but that's really not a bad thing here. Good synopsis, TJ. Love it. You like that? Yeah. Can I learn more about the flower, though? Um, Can I be fun next podcast? I will email you the... I've done extensive research on the Magnolia uh, genus. Oh, that's um, good. I will uh, email you the Wikipedia link. Okay, that's good. Excellent. So, this was a three over three-hour movie. Yes. Um, and I would say it did feel like a three-hour movie, but I didn't care. Because you just me watch neither. it. Me it neither. Like, it's not like the Batman. Like, the Batman's three hours long, and I was just waiting like, this is the ending. Nope. This is the ending. Nope. This is the ending. Nope. This is the ending? Yes. And then it's just like, okay, finally. Like, at least, like, in that movie, they increase the stakes each time they do it. So that's why I kept interested. But this sure. one doesn't need to increase the stakes. The stakes are always just increased mm-hmm. every second. Every second. Like, it's like a like a, like a standoff with no guns. That's how I felt like watching this movie. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I will say, yeah, it does feel like the three hours. But for the most part, the three hours, 
I mean, it really does justify itself. You might be able to cut 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, Paul like, Thomas Jansen does go into that a little bit. He just like, I could cut this movie like a whole lot more. It's like way No, up, absolutely but. not. And there were, throughout, while watching the movie, it really is such an experience. Yeah. And it's just like the other two PTA movies we watched here. And I don't know how to explain the feeling I got while watching them, but it was almost like, am I enjoying this, yeah. per se? And I'm not entirely sure if I'm enjoying it, but I am so hooked on what is going on. Yeah. And that by the end of the movie, I can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I told my my girlfriend, uh, I watched this Wednesday night while she had class. Yeah. It was perfect. So I was like, I got to watch this three-hour movie. You know, it was almost like a chore. Not a chore, but, you know, I was like, yeah. I got to set aside We were going to watch it together, evening. but you said this movie's three hours long, but... We like, have okay. different work schedules yeah. now, so it's a little tougher to do that. And I was just like, I gotta watch this three-hour movie, you know, I'm gonna be in bed late, you know, I'm gonna go, not be able to go to bed on time, whatever. I'm an old man. I finished the movie probably at just before 12 o'clock. I couldn't fall asleep till like, one. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even mad about it. All three of these movies, they've been experiences. They've been ones that make you think. They challenge your uh, ideas of what traditional narrative is, mm-hmm. and by the end of it, you just can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, before I watched this movies, I hated movies like this. I hated movies with basically no plot. It's basically just characters just talking to each other and stuff like that. Like, I hated that because like, I need a story. But after watching these movies, I realized that you don't really need a story. You just need experiences, emotions, and correct characters who you love, hate, or don't even like, or do like. And you just go along. And then, like I was talking about in the beginning, like a big moment just brings them like all together. And like that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know is it a good thing or a bad thing because then I can just make a movie that are interesting characters and have well maybe because Paul Thomas Anderson is, is kind of doing that in this film because the big moment you're like you just don't expect it like mm-hmm. in um I watched Nashville I gotta watch it again because I didn't really do a good job watching it I was making Robin while doing it that's the Rob Altman or the Robert Altman film that's just like Magnum Opus and it's yeah. like all these characters are interesting they're funny they all have their own troubles and everything at the very end of the movies they got spoilers but that movie's over fifty years old now. A girl is shot, and so to bring everybody together, everybody just starts singing a song, a song, <laughs> and that's how the movie ends. It is, yeah, yeah. That, okay, and so he makes, definitely he, got that. From he definitely him. got that from him. So I'm just wondering, does that make does that like is that all you need? Yeah, to make I think these that's movies? absolutely what he's showing. And the thing to me is, this movie borders on over being overly melodramatic and even pretentious at times, but it never crosses that. Sure. When you think of the traditional narrative, like you said, there's this big spot at the end that we will get into uh, that you think is going to bring all the characters together, but it doesn't. It brings a handful of them together in little pockets. It brings Claudia and her mother together. It brings Donnie and Officer Jim together. Yeah. But it doesn't bring them all... Uni- it's You know, this was like one of my least favorite movies. Crash. I hate Crash. I think Crash is such a heavy-handed Oscar Beatty movie. It's just insufferable to me. I was worried this would feel like that or something but no it's not some grandstanding soapboxy moral yeah. movie it's just a slice of these characters lives and they are all they seem unrelated right yeah and now they, they all have one thing in common for the most part they've all got past traumas they got yeah overcome. and i was saying like loneliness they're all, they're all loneliness in their own Correct. way uh the kid jamie blackman who plays a child in this he's lonely because his father doesn't really love him that much his father he's, sees him as a meal ticket meal yeah. ticket so he doesn't have a father and figure. even at school he's put in the library yeah. by himself throughout exactly. the school day because he doesn't need to be in the classroom yeah Tom Cruise is lonely because he lost his father and his mother so he has no family mm-hmm. so he created this macho uh, character to basically maybe block out those feelings sure absolutely and basically made a brand out of it 
Yep. Uh, Melinda Dillon's lonely because her husband's dying and she lost her daughter because... Uh, unknown know, reasons to her. They were unknown reasons to unknown her. Unknown reasons until recently. Uh, Philip Baker's dying, mm-hmm. so that's why he's getting lonely. And also he lost like the same reasons why uh, Melinda's mm-hmm. character is. Philip Snow Hoppin's lonely because I guess... Maybe, I don't know, because he's... He's given the least... Uh, he's almost like the... Uh, shit, not the Greek chorus. What am I looking for? He's like kind of a... Thematic vehicle. Yes, yeah. I don't He's know. He's basically how helping. Um, let's see, what's his name? Jason <laughs> Robots, I believe, who played the man who was dying. Was that him? Or was that? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Um, oh, yes. Jason Robots played Earl, I believe. Correct? Okay, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So he's basically there to help Earl find Tom, find Tom Cruise, and that's his role. But Jason Robots is lonely because he gave up everything, mm-hmm. and he uh, he basically left his son go, and he haven't seen him in twenty three years. Yes, and that's what I. That's one thing I noticed with, with all these characters. You do have that loss. You do have that um, mm-hmm. that sense of past trauma that we're not fully, you know, sh- you know. We, we eventually we find out, find out what they are for the most part. But there are two characters in particular. Then they're particular, and they're the older characters who are on who are dying. Both of them have cancer. It's Jimmy Gator, the game show host, played by Philip Baker Hall, and Earl Partridge, the former Hollywood producer who is very, very quickly dying uh, of cancer him, himself. And what the movie does, and you know it's you know it's coming, and you, you still you know better than to sympathize with these characters because it seems too obvious. You're shown early hints when uh, Jimmy Gator, the game show host, goes to visit his daughter Claudia, and she's screaming at her, this blood curdling yeah. scream, "Get the fuck out of my house!" But you still somewhat sympathize with these dying old men. I say so. And then PTA just whacks you right in the back with a steel chair. <laughs> yeah. These characters are the reasons for several of the other characters suffering and their trauma. Earl Partridge, the old Hollywood producer, we find out that he is uh, Frank T.J. Maxey. That was uh, Frank T.J. Mackey, uh, Tom Cruise's character. His father, long estranged, uh, who left Frank to take care of his dying mother. Yeah, and basically cheated on her all the time. Cheated on her constantly. He was being an asshole the whole time. Like Mm -hmm. I would say I love you every time, but Mm -hmm. I would just constantly cheat. Yep, yeah. and then Philip Baker Hall's Jimmy Gator when he finally tells his, you know, his wife knows and he, oh, a few people know that he's got cancer, and he's finally telling her uh, late in the movie, you know, uh, I apologize, I did cheat on you, and that's when something dawns on her, and she asks, why doesn't our daughter talk to us? You know, why does she hate you? Mm-hmm. And when you find out, it's just gut wrenching. Yeah, it's just absolutely gut wrenching, and. Yeah, I've, your thoughts. I've gone on quite a bit. I don't think you're not. I don't think you're supposed to cheer for these characters or like root for the characters. You're just supposed to just feel these characters. Mm-hmm. These characters are supposed to be like your connection because in some way each one of them has something that we have inside of us. Like either whether it be like the worst things that happen or like the best thing that's happened to us. Sure. Because I feel like this is like what happens mostly when grief. Like um, Julianne Moore's character. Like how do you deal with grief? She tries to kill herself. That could happen. You meet other people. And you try to help them. That's what happens with uh, with Dennis Donnie Baker. Yes, that's his name. Okay, yeah. yep. with uh, with John C. Wiley's character and William H. Macy's character. And sometimes you reconnect with people you, you loved, then you just lost contact with. Which right. happened with both Tom Cruise's character and um, Linda Dillon's character and M- M- Molly Walters, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. I can't say it. Yeah, Melora, Melora Walters, Walters Melora Walters. Yes, so right. that's what happened. So yeah. it's just like it's just like different ways to deal with it, 
and sure. you can relate to one or you can relate to the other. Like, right. Or sometimes you just die. <laughs> that's what happens too. <laughs> well, and that's that's another cur- uh, common theme among these PTA movies that we've watched. They don't. He never asks you to cheer for a character or to dislike a character or to relate with a character. You just do it instinctually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like obviously, it's it's pretty obvious that you're gonna hate someone who ran out on his dying wife or someone who molested his daughter. You're yeah. gonna hate them, and that's totally understandable. But yeah. in Licorice Pizza, you've got characters in a very questionable relationship. They should not be in that relationship, mm-hmm. but for some reason, you still find them endearing, right? Yeah. In Boogie Nights, you see these characters hit their absolute low. You yeah. see Amber- people who, like our parents tell us, do not interact with these people. These people are garbage. Like, right. Not. But yet we still, because like, we never really see their side of the story. Mm-hmm. We never see the, the black sheep of the family story or right. something like that. We only see what they, like people tell us to see, like the drug dealers or the pornographers or the bad people. And you don't really see how it affects them. Yeah, they do coke and yeah, they do make porn and stuff like that, and they do bad things. But these are real people still. These are still people who feel, they love, they hate, they cry, they Absolutely. laugh. Absolutely. Yeah. They're no different than us at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, powerful, powerful, powerful stuff here. Uh, I would say, you want to talk about Officer Jim and or Donnie here? Yeah. Um. Uh, should, we, should we just break it down like character by character let's mostly? It. Let's do let's it. Let's do yeah. it. Okay, so let's start with, um, I guess, Tom Cruise. This time is the most emotional. Uh-huh. This is probably, I haven't seen a lot of Tom Cruise performance, but this is probably the best I've ever seen him in a movie. Same, hands down. Yeah. I didn't know he could do this. I think Tom Cruise made this image of himself. I'm Tom Cruise. I'm a badass. Like, I'll just do badass things and act crazy sometimes. Which is admirable or impressive from a yeah. 5'9 guy or whatever. True, yeah. He's a little guy. Yeah, but he basically like tore that down and became, like I guess, the worst version of himself. Like a guy who was just like so up his own ass that he creates this persona and how to... It's a mask. It's a mask, yeah. yeah. And he is my favorite character in the whole thing because he's so insane. It's, it's great. He's the master of the muffin, as I said in the beginning. <laughs> uh, on a poster of his... Uh, <laughs> of his uh, Studios and Destroy, it is um, No Pussy Has Nine Lives. Yeah, I saw no that. No Pussy Has Nine <laughs> Lives. That's what it says. It, it is funny. And, and you think about you think about today, how like alpha males and stuff like that, like PTA was way ahead of this shit. He yeah. knew like, they, like there was this market about these guys who are lonely and who think that you have to maneuver around women to get to have them sex with you. He predicted the incel movement 20 years before. Before it actually really got a name. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of true, too. Absolutely, that's what this is. Yeah. But uh, even when he does a lot of stuff, you know there's like a heartbreak to the character. Absolutely. Yeah, which you can say like, yeah, that's fine, but he's still a piece of shit. But then also you could relate to him, too. Because you can tell like, he's not who he's... He's probably not... He wasn't actually like this like at any before. And maybe something happened that changed him. And then you, you find out. Like, he had no father. He left him. He had no mother. He had to be taken care of his, by his neighbor. And then, I guess, I don't know what happened. Maybe just one day he decided... I'm just going to reinvent myself. And he did. That's what we're left to assume, yeah. yeah. But I'm with you. I never have respected Tom Cruise in a, as an actor so much as I have here. You always think of him in these blockbuster movies. Some are good, some are yeah, most are bad. You got The Mummy. The Mummy, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I knew we'd yeah, mention that. Then you got like, the movies in the 80s he was in. That was like Gun, Top Gun yeah. and stuff like that. Cocktail. Cocktail, yeah. Uh, but no, this was, a, this was an acting tour de force by him. When he sits down for the interview, I'm thinking, okay... Now we're going to see, okay, he's going to tell this woman reporter, you know, behind the scenes, it's just an act. I didn't just make money off of these goofballs. But no, that's what he presents himself to actually believe is that, you know, men have that right to take any woman that they want to be with. But as the interview progresses and she calls him out on his lies, 
about you know him his relationship with his parents you just see all that swagger and all that confidence just melt off yeah. of his face and the little boy that sat with his dying mother emerges mm-hmm. and throws a tantrum uh and eventually walks out and yeah. that is when you see this is just a mask the whole time for his mm-hmm. past trauma yeah but yeah i thought he was incredible yeah. All right, next. There's a next. lot of these fucking characters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, let's do... Uh, I guess we do the kid, Jeremy Backman. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? He did great for a child performance. He didn't really do much after this, maybe because uh, the industry didn't really care or something like that, but he did a great performance because he was like... I think I read somewhere like people think he's like a prophet or something because like, when that scene happened at the very end, he's like, oh, this always happens or like something like this always happens. So they think, oh, he did this, but... I don't know. I guess he was a... What, what 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 would he be in the film? What what is he saying? Is he saying like how we treat children in the days? Mm-hmm. Like they just laugh at us because he gave the whole monologue about how like this is not fair. You can't just just laugh at us and make us look like to dance. Sure, we're human beings too. Maybe he's trying to humanize like kids too because really like they think kids are just like cute and innocent and they don't know anything. And... Perhaps it's also symbolic of intelligence at any age. I mean, realistically, I feel like we. A lot of people in America, we don't really respond to intellect so much as we do rhetoric. You can see that in our politics, for instance, our advertising. Uh, And all I mean to say is that he is someone who's become an outcast because he's so intelligent, especially for his age. He doesn't really have peers that are on his level. He's answering every question on the game show. He's the one that has to go up for the lightning round or whatever. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, while he's the one making everyone the money... He gets none of the regard, none yeah. of the respect. Because like he just needs to go to the bathroom once, and they're just, just like, "No, the bathroom. he can't use the bathroom." I'm like, "He's got to go, or he's gonna be his pants." Meanwhile, his father, who's his caretaker, who's supposed to be that all-important parental figure, is the one telling him, "You know, shut the fuck up. You're gonna play this game. You're winning us money. You're gonna break this record." Yeah. Um, and as for the actor Jeremy Blackman, I thought he was great. Uh, typically, I'm creeped out by kids with that kind of haircut. Yeah. <laughs> but I could get over it. He was that that good as a child actor. Yeah. And then I, he goes back to... Well, after the game show, he goes back to the library and this, he guess he finds his happy place because he just wants more knowledge, I guess. And he, yeah. Uh, when he gets home, he's like, you got to treat me nicer. And I don't know if the dad agrees with that, but I guess he's just... Yeah. He, he's I just don't sleeping. think he does, but he's... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe it does, but maybe it doesn't. Like, that's the thing. Like... I think that's what Paul Thomas does in this movie. He's like, not everything's going to be changed. I think that's what happened in Boogie Nights. Because he said, like, none of these characters really changed. Maybe that's also true in these movies. And we don't know how Melinda Dillon and her daughter are going to be after this all this happened. I mean, she still has the trauma of being molested by her father. Her father's now dead. Mm-hmm. So they had to deal with that also. And Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so, okay, let's go to, um, I guess, well, let's go to... Maloa Walter's character and uh, Melinda Dillon. Claudia. Claudia. Let's go with uh, Philip Baker Hall. Let's go with him. So Philip Baker Hall is a legend of industry in this movie. He's been. A, he's like the um, yeah, he host of Jeopardy. Chuck Woolery. Oh, no, Alex Trebek. Yeah. Alex Trebek. Oh. So he's probably like a local legend, and he's like this higher to higher standards. And then he find out he's dying, and he's followed this man who was this like great mountain of industry. He just fall falters because he's weak. At, he's weak. He can't do it anymore. But he keeps on trying to do it. And he's trying to get back with his daughter, but I don't know. You see that scene because you're like, why does she hate her so much? And then he just realized, like, then you realize, like, oh, he molested her. And then it all makes sense. And he's like, you see this man because he's like, he's dying and he's trying to make it right because he said he doesn't know if he did it or not. But it's hard to, to 
to admit, I was like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, you either you know or you don't know. He's repressed it. He's repressed it, it, maybe, yeah. But we also do that, too, with our own trauma. Like, I know there's probably moments I've done that I've blocked out and I don't remember if I did it or not. And maybe he's done it with two, but do I, do I sympathize with this man? Like, it, like after that happened, it's like, oh, God. No, I don't at the end yeah. of it, frankly. You don't. And you, I was kind of happy when it happened. Like, when he, when he got killed, when the events happened, and, like, when the events happened... And he, like, he just, he was burned alive in a fire. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he was going to kill himself. Because he realized all the things he done. But I guess whoever did the nature event. Nature intervened. Nature intervened and they said, you're not going to take this out. You're not going to do this on your own terms. You're going to die on my terms. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. And everyone knows burning to death is a lot of fun. Yeah, true. So, yeah. So, Manila Dillon and then, let's go with Melly Walter's character. Because he's a drug addict who's... Mm-hmm. I guess Claudia, she's, yes. she's not trying to get better. She doesn't really try to get better throughout the movie. She just no, does no. a lot of coke, listens to a lot of Amy Man, which we'll get to later, and it's like just well, trying to process this trauma. Right, and, and the way she that. does that is this coke and it's yeah. constant coke, and it's trying to deal with it. And she goes on a date with the officer played by uh, Tim- John C. Riley, and actually, this is a great note. Like in the in the, one of the scenes where she's like. Uh, when she says, now that I met you, would you object to never seeing each other again? Mm-hmm. Which is a lyric of a Amy Mann song. Because uh, he knows, like, this guy's an officer, he's so straight-laced. And he and we see that throughout the movie, John C. Wiley. He's very straight-laced, he's very boring, he's just like... He doesn't want to deal with the kid who's rapping, and so he <laughs> tells him to go away. And if, she, if he finds out he's a coke... She's a cokehead, I don't think... I think he kept on saying, like, I would never judge you, but I think he would. See, I don't... I don't know if he fully would. I think he'd insist that she got help, which is where the movie seems to trend. Yeah. But, the, but that that aside, I thought Melora Walters was great here. And the first thing you see her do is trade a stranger sex for drugs. You know what I mean? He, yeah. And yes, that is how she copes. And we don't know exactly what's going on in her head for the majority of this movie. Uh, and then she's playing Amy Mann's soup. Is that her name? Amy Mann? Yeah. Playing it ridiculously loud when Officer Jim comes in. Uh, and I was caught off guard when he asked her for a date. Uh, I didn't really yeah. see that happening, but hey, whatever. Yeah. I think really, she is that symbol of, or not symbol, but she is obviously, is it fair to say the most outwardly traumatized in this, or at yeah. least shows it the most? Yeah, she's got a terrible, terrible drug addiction. Um, she's on their date even, she's going to the bathroom, you know, yeah. to freshen up or whatever. And then she tries to get rid of him because she's afraid of how, you know, how he'll perceive her once he gets to know her better. But I feel like you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Officer Jim, he is that straight-laced innocence. I think he's really the symbol, though, of a fresh start. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's got traumas, but everybody can get over them. Given the right circumstances, not getting over, but we can learn to cope and find people, find new influences perhaps, yeah. that can put us in a better spot to recover. Mm-hmm. And I do hope, I think that that is symbolized by the end of this movie, the last shot. Yeah. And I hope that's what it is, too, because I really wanted to see her happy again, especially after you find out why she's so embittered toward her dad and... Miserable. And, right. Yeah. But Melora Walter's great. I'm not going to say anyone in this cast was bad. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I'm just not. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to William H. Mason, then. 
William uh, H. Macy. Okay. Danny, is, what's his name? Donnie Smith. He was Donnie the Smith. Former quiz kid. Essentially quiz kid. the Stanley, the young yeah. child prodigy now and of the past. We can see what happens if you don't deal with your trauma. And exactly. Like yeah. Because he got, <laughs> he's kind of, he's kind of like the, the, that character. Like the, he's the clown of the cast. Like he's the, like, uh, comic to, relief. Comic relief. Yeah. Because sure. he got struck by lightning and then he said that's how he got stupid. Yeah, and then he's led him on this path of just trying to, which is really weird. Like, would you? I think of like celebrities now who are on game shows and stuff like that. Like, like the guys who win like Jeopardy all the time, and I can see why. But would people remember a really smart kid from the sixties? Probably would, not. Yeah, like like I use your stardom to, like you use my stardom. Right. You can't do that. Like, no, it, that was uh, a bit of a stretch. But honestly, you gotta just. This is, you have to just abandon some logic with this movie. Yeah. And that's totally, totally fine. Yeah. I will say he was the one character that I was probably least interested in at the beginning. I knew why he was there, to show what happens, because all his parents took all of his prize money, and oh, yeah. now that he is has gone dumb, quote-unquote, he can't hold down a job. And he's also like trying to win the affection of a local bartender mm-hmm. by like, getting braces on braces. his already perfect Yeah, I don't team. know... It's a weird hang How was odd about that? He was just like, why, why do you need braces? Yeah, and that like, was a funny scene. Even if you tell him the reason, you're going to be like, that's not a good reason. And he knows that, too, after he goes yeah. to the ball. And then the man who played the Nazi in Blues Brothers, who like, who's also trying to get the attention of the, yeah, of the bartender. Yeah, that was him, yeah. Yeah, he seems to be a competition, and he kept on drinking because maybe he realizes that he can't contend with this man. This man is he's smarter, he's more suave than he is. And got the money. Got the money, and he doesn't have the money. Right. So, yeah. But then, cha- but then when he robs the place, he realizes, like, what have I done? And he tries right. to go back to fix it, but then the event happens, and then John Cervai's character just catches him, and then he, like, we thought, I thought John Cervai was going to arrest him. Right. He's like, no, but he's not. He's going to try to help him. There's a great monologue, too, at that one point where he says, you know, part of my job is dis- disseminate, or distinguishing between those who have done wrong and need to be punished and those who have learned from it, and, you know, you can kind of let off, I suppose. But... Mm-hmm. I like this character. At first, I wasn't sure if all of his scenes were t- totally necessary, but it's always a pleasure to see William H. Macy, and yeah, obviously he serves yeah. as the example of what will happen to Stanley if his parents keep treating him the way that, or his dad keeps treating him the way he has been. Yeah. What'd you think of him? Um, I don't know. I don't, hmm. I mean, he was necessary. I think he's going to show, like, he shows, like, the downfall of fame. Like, the downfall sure. of, like, what happens. So that's necessary, and, like, it kind of relates to the Jeremy Blackman character. I guess what happens if you, like, if you continue on this path, what's going to happen to you? Your father is going to take all your money, and you'll be left with nothing. Because mm-hmm. people are going to see you as a special star, but then once that special star falls, you have nothing, and then you got to rely on what you were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great assessment, actually. All right, uh, how about... I would uh, say, though, I do love all, mostly all the scenes. Like, when he finally confesses to... To love that bartender, he just yeah. breaks down and just pops in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. good. He's clearly uh, uh, intoxicated at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's most... Oh, you should go to Julianne Moore's character. I was going to say. We never really a... talked about her that much. I know, and there's podcast. so much to talk about. I know. This I thought she should have been nominated for at least a supporting actress role. She, she was, was so good, because she was just like... She just broke down what she was. She was just like, yeah. I married this man for his money, and then at, when he was dying, I loved him. I learned to love him, and then... She just has major regrets, and mm-hmm. it's just like just killing her. And since she wants, she wants some way to. I think that represents a way to like you know how in the Fisher King he was like I just want to just turn a switch or do something to make give give forgiveness, and mm-hmm. that's her character. She's just trying yeah. to do something to yeah. 
make her forgive herself for doing these terrible things to the man she learned to love. Yeah. And then she's she goes to Michael Murphy's lawyer's like, change the will. I don't want to be in this world. I'm a terrible person. I cheat on her multiple times. And then she realized, I guess she, in her mind, the only way to do to to uh, to get forgiveness for her atone atone for her sins is to kill herself with mm-hmm. pills. Which she survives. Which she survives. She does survive. So she has to deal with it. That's the thing. Like sometimes you can't escape it. Sometimes fate just says you're gonna live and you're just gonna have to deal with it. But she'll be stronger from it. I yeah, think. she'll be stronger from it. And then at the very end, when Tom Cruise goes to see her in the hospital. Maybe they'll form a relationship. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll bond over, bond over Jason Robot's character. Big sure. little. They bond over him sure. in some weird way. Yeah, I, I I think that's essentially the optimist's viewpoint of the end, and I kind of hope that that's what happens. What I will say real quick, a great thing about this movie, it takes place over one day, correct? Yes, in 24 hours. 24 hours. Yeah, and they're all close to each other, so, How, that, so it makes right. sense about the ending. All of these characters, though, have incredibly uh, intricate story arcs. like Or not story arcs, um, character oh. development. Ca- character arcs, rather. They yeah. change. They are dynamic characters. And the funny thing is, we don't even see them prior to this day that the, the yeah. movie is set. But you can tell just through the exposition and through the, the way characters converse with one another that they have changed. And Julianne Moore's character is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of see that she... You know, you kind of get the sense that she is a trophy wife, right? She's yeah. obviously decades younger than her husband. But right from the rip, you see that she is struggling with his death. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why until she sees that lawyer. And then it all comes together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then obviously Julianne Moore is incredible. Yeah, but that's the thing also. Like, that's what Paul Tyson does. Like, you don't know if these people change. Maybe Donnie Smith will change. Maybe he'll find the right path and... Maybe the officer will help him, or maybe he won't. Maybe Melinda Dillon and her daughter can't coexist. It was just maybe. too much trauma. We don't know, but at least we know that it, there's a possibility that they could change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't know if Tom Cruise is going to change. Maybe he'll just be the same guy again. So be the same uh, alpha male. It's clearly making him money. Yeah, Dick, who's just going to keep on doing it. And maybe he actually does believe that. I said, I said that he doesn't believe that, but maybe he does believe that. Maybe that's why he is. So we can't expect him to change just out of the back. That's not happening to people. People just don't change out of the blue. They need to. It takes time for change. Right. It takes time to learn and things like that. Um. So we talk about the event. I think it would been going for half hour. Let's talk event. Okay. So the event, the major event that happens that kind of brings everybody together, is fogs fall out the sky. That's what happens. Frogs. Frogs, like in, <laughs> like in the Bible. I jumped. I was laying in bed watching the movie, and I physically, my whole body just jumped when that yeah. first one hit his car. It is so loud and so unexpected. And I see him on his windshield, and I see the one breathing, and I said, "These those are motherfucking frogs. What is going on? And then all of a sudden, you know, I figured maybe someone was throwing them off a rooftop or something, like a teenager prank or something. Yeah, I kind of thought that too, even though I kind of expected it. But I was like, is it really? Because... I thought I knew the ending of Memento, but I didn't. I was like, like is this really going to happen? And then I knew it was going to happen, and I was still surprised. I'm like, fogs fell from the fucking sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I don't know how I feel about that. Because I watched it, and I'm like, what does it mean? Like, is it supposed to have a purpose, these huge endings? As well? Like, did the girl who got shot in the end of um, Nashville, does that mean anything? Does that bring everybody together? Like... I think that's the whole point, though. Sometimes life doesn't... It's senseless. Yeah. And that's and why that it kind is, of brought up in, like, the whole 
the whole beginning of the movie with all the coincidences of the man getting murdered by uh is it like baker barry green hill green he, hill yeah, or something yeah barry hill green he got murdered by those three men and right. that's, that was the name of his pharmacy right and then you got Patton Oswalt character who loves scuba diving but died because a plane picked him up while trying to fend off a forest fire and he mm-hmm. got dumped by a water plane um what was the third one the third one was I know this too. Dang, I, I've been over it. The third one was... Oh yeah, the the boy who committed suicide but actually was murdered by his... Oh, by his mom. By his he mom. was the one that loaded the he gun. Loaded the gun. And so then he was an accomplice in his own murder. Yeah. Yes. This, this weird things happen. You can't really explain it. Mm-hmm. And Paul Thomas Anderson didn't say, oh, God made this happen. They just fell out of the sky. Who knows? Maybe a plane carrying fucking thousands of fogs. This... that Actually, let go of the cargo and millions of fogs just went down on the San Fernando Valley character. I mean, area. Yeah. So, yeah, because it kind of makes sense because, like, they're all in the same area. They're all in the San Fernando Valley, and it's just like, then you realize, like, how much, how far is this plane going? They're just dropping fucking frogs everywhere. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds, if not thousands, of frogs falling. It's a full storm yeah. of frogs. And now let me tell you, I wouldn't change this ending for anything. Mm. It is nonsensical. Makes no sense. But that's yeah, the point, no though. I, I think that is the point. Sometimes these coincidences, like he, the ones he shows in the beginning, they have, that's what they are. They're, they're nonsensical. They're just nonsensical. And this yeah. one is kind of an example of you think that everything's going to coincide and be this you know big, massive coming together of all these characters, and it's stopped by that storm of frogs, kind of. Some of the characters do get together. Poor Donnie actually breaks his teeth. He breaks his teeth. One so he does need... hits him and falls him, or it makes him fall off the ladder. He yeah, so he does need braces. Um... <laughs> Philip Baker's Hall character dies. He tries to kill himself, but the frogs the frog, got to him yeah. before he could shoot himself, and then he missed. And then I guess the bullet like hit some wires or something, and then started a fire. Started a fire, and mm-hmm. he's now probably dead. We don't know. We don't know the asses. Um, uh, Claudia's mother Rose uh, gets to her house just in time, and they take shelter yeah. and and. Hopefully, Tom you know, Cruise. Perhaps I don't think Tom Cruise is that million that's affected by the fog. Is this a weird thing that happens? Is this like? Yeah, I don't think he really. We see what happens. To, well, he was just in the house with. He was uh, just in the house with Big Big O, and they were just having this moment because, yeah. you know, Tom Cruise is not going to forgive his father. He's going to say all the things he wanted to say to him. And yeah. I guess that that maybe what that maybe that's what Big O wanted. He just wanted his son to have some kind of closure for all the years he didn't have to. He wasn't with him. I think you're right about that, and. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame him. Yeah. But to me, the, the scene of the fogs is finally like, I don't know if it still makes sense to me. That is a phenomenon know. that has happened. Did it has look? happened? Yeah, oh yeah. Have really? Fogs just fly out of the sky? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before I, uh, I know this isn't uh, great for a podcast, but yeah, Reign of Animals. Look it up on Wikipedia because, you know, that's the foremost uh, purveyor of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it is a thing, and it's a phenomenon that scientists are confused by because typically it carries only one species of animal. So it's very bizarre. So just like uh, random animals just fall out of the sky yeah. sometimes? Oh, yeah. And part of... Uh, so, okay, I read this also on Wikipedia, so it's definitely verified. Um, during the casting procedures, when speaking with Philip Baker Hall, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson got to that part of the, the, the story and said, you know, this is going to happen. And... Um, Philip Baker Hall told him about a time he was traveling through... Oh my. He was traveling outside of the country, and they got hit with a bad snowstorm, but in that snowstorm was also a bunch of little frogs. So it can happen. Wow. Some people theorize that it's tornadoes. 
from the water, and yeah. they are in California, so they are near a great big body of water. Gotcha. It's a weird phenomenon. I I'm I apologize. I meant to read up more on it. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is something that has happened. Yeah, okay, I don't so know if in that magnitude. That can explain that a little bit, but is this so off? Like, because maybe he's he's. he's Paul, Tam- Paul Thomas Anderson is like commenting on this because he realizes like maybe he realized like yeah all these movies is like a bunch of interesting characters and like there's a big event happens and that's it and then he realized like I can just make the big event anything and it could work and it and it kind of did kind of not but maybe that's what Th- Paul Thomas Anderson wanted like he says for better for, or worse this is his best movie and I love that quote yeah. that too I read that as well because mm-hmm. like. I think I'm in the majority that it, I, I don't know how to feel about it. Like, because like some reviewers like point out that, and like when they all sing the song, but I actually found out like that there's a reason why they all sing that song. It kind of relates to each one of the characters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I don't. I wouldn't take it out either. Because like, what are you gonna do? You're just gonna have this moment where they all get together and kumbaya, my lord. Like that's bullshit. Would that's not been, real. Would it really have better been better if it was a giant dangerous hailstorm? I mean, obviously, California doesn't get those, I'm sure, but or a tornado or a hurricane or whatever. Would it really have been better? I like it because it leaves it. It's not like a necessarily necessarily biblical thing, but yeah. some people will see. Even it Even though way. the Bible references mentioned a lot in this movie. Uh, sure. Yeah, Exodus eight eight two. Uh, but if you refuse to let me go, behold, I will plague all your country with fogs. Okay. So sure. it, I'm trying to think of what does that have to do with this movie? If you refuse to let me go. So is that refusing to let go of your loved ones or let go of your troubles also? And if they don't do that, then fogs will rain from the sky. And it fucking did. Now what is the metaphor of this in the Bible? Like, what does this mean in the Bible? Because this didn't really happen. So like, is it like if you don't let go of your past or your traumas that then bad, th- bad things will happen? Possible. That's the, that's the great thing about it. Is it, it once again challenges its audience. And that's really what a great filmmaker will do. Like, did it need to be that? No, absolutely not, it didn't. But I love that it is because, it A, it'll get people talking, and it'll get them thinking, more importantly. And, you know, I feel like all of these movies that we've seen of his do get people to think about them. That's true. You can easily, if you're a simple, more less nuanced, I guess, uh, moviegoer, you could look at his movies and think, you know, take them just at surface value. But I don't think that you're meant to for these. I think you are meant to discard logic, especially when it comes to this ending. And you're just supposed to think about what the frogs did to the characters, how it affected the characters. It gave Philip Baker Hall more the death that he deserved, frankly. It uh, it gave Claudia and her mom a chance to reconnect and kind of like... You know, it's easy for a parent to berate a child's behavior when they're standing mightier than thou. But in this instance, my God, they're terrified. And that yeah. helps bring people together. Mm-hmm. It brought Officer Jim and Donnie together and formed an understanding there where, like, yeah, you were breaking the law, but you were also trying to make up for what you had just done. Mm-hmm. Let me off. You, let me let you off with a warning. Long story short, it doesn't have to make sense, I don't think. And for God's sake, I'll never forget this, the end of this movie. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well. It was long-winded. I'm it was long Yeah, it's fine, but it was great. No, it wasn't. No, it was great. Okay, so that was the movie. I guess we should go on to my fun facts now. Yeah, I gotta catch my breath. True, yes. And you still gotta use the bathroom. Yeah. Is it commercial break yet? No. Oh, fuck. So, prepare to hold it, okay? Oh.
I'm a bitch boy, TJ. Okay? <laughs> you're going to see a puddle when I get up. Good. You're going to clean it up. Okay? Oh, that's the way man. it's going to go. Anyway, that's uh, let's end this uh, talk about. Give the us the trivia, damn oh, it! Oh yeah, the trivia, damn it! Fuck, I forgot about that. Okay, the fun facts about this movie: uh, Paul Thomas Anderson approached George C. Scott to play the role of Partridge in this film, uh, but Scott threw the script across the room, saying, "This is the worst fucking thing I've ever read. The thing was just terrible." So George C. Scott, very picky, picky, picky man. Didn't like the swears. No. Exactly. Almost every location contains a picture of at least one magnolia painting. Painted by Fiona Apple. Telephone number 877-TAME-HER is shown on the Seduce and Destroy infomercial within the movie. If you call that number, you get a recording of Tom Cruise giving the Seduce and Destroy pitch. Nice. They whisper still a thing, but my guess is probably dead by now. Probably, That's yeah. That's so sad. Um, Exodus 8-2 is alluded throughout the film through billboards and many other images and stuff like that. And even rings and messages that we probably missed. Um, but of course you, we said it's, but if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs, which I believe what Moses said to the king of Egypt. Mm, yes. That makes so. more sense. If there. I remember that Rugrats episode, that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, each sign in wise, in the wise up scene is a reference to the character scene is going through. Uh, Claudia is seen because of her cocaine addiction. It's not what you thought when you first began it. Jimmy sings about his cancer uh you sure there's a cure and you finally found it donnie is about his drinking you think one drink will shrink you till your underground living down and linda uh about her dying husband's will prepare this for what you need before you sign away the deed every time you see donnie in his car the same song is playing on the radio which i was also very curious about i'm like what is that song playing yeah uh it's dreams by the artist gabriel the word fuck is used 190 times, which is amazing. Gotta love swears. We need more swearing. Fuck Jeremy. Yeah, fuck Jeremy. And in kid shows, too. Just see what Europe does. Just, like, have swears in, like, adult shows and kid shows. Just tell them don't They're fuck. words. Yeah, they're words. Who cares? Anyway, that goes on to my diatribe when I went from there. Um, <laughs> the title of Magnolia only also, not only refers to Magnolia Boulevard in L.A., in LA where most of the movie takes place, but also is similar to the term Charles Fort who is referenced in this movie many a times, coined for a hypothetical region where things that fall from the sky come from. Magno- Magnonia. I said that totally wrong. Mag- it's M-A-G-O-N-I-A. Magonia? Magonia. You probably said it right. Uh-huh. And Amy Mann's music, of course, inspired Paul Thomas Anderson to write this script, and at least one lyric from songs of Amy Mann are lifted and used, from, used as dialogue. For example, in Deathly, where... The song Deathly, the lyrics, now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing each other again, is used in the film by Maloa Walters. I finally got it. Yay! Yay! Personal growth. Yes. By Maloa Walters' character when they when they, when they kiss and then she separates. So that's all the fun facts about that. Um, top 10 films of 1999, uh, even though this was released, it was released in the, like, December 1999, but I guess Box Office Mojo counts as a 2000 film, because it was released in 2000. Oh, okay. So, but 1999, top 10 films are Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, your favorite movie, uh, The Sixth Sense, number 2, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, uh, 4, Toy Story 2, 5, The Matrix, 6, Tarzan, which I saw in the theaters, which I don't know if I could get kicked out of because of I remember I went to a Pizza Hut, and they had a promotion for it, and I got the promotion, and then I went to see the movie. That's all nice. I remember. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I went to those one of the Pizza Huts at the restaurant too. Not those. Not yeah. just like a 
Yeah. Do those exist anymore? No, the last one closed down and it's now going to be a Mexican restaurant in our house. So, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, seven was Big Daddy, Adam Sandler vehicle. Eight was The Mummy, not The Mummy from 2013 <laughs> or whatever that movie was released. Uh, number nine, One Way Bride, one of the many Juliet Lovett romantic comedies. And ten was The Blade Witch Project. Some solid pictures there. Yeah, some solid, some not so solid. Correct. Uh, in 2000, out of 200 films in box, op- box office mojo, this was ranked 99. This had a box office of 48.5 million worldwide, and budget was 37 million. Hmm. So, minor head. Yeah. But not really that much. Um, Academy Awards, uh, only three nominations, mostly. Uh, Best Actor in Supporting Role, Tom Cruise, lost to Michael Caine in Side of House Rules. Can you say Michael Caine in Michael Caine voice, TJ? Michael Caine. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I'm Michael Caine. And I was in the site. No, that sounds like Morgan Freeman now. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Best written provisional screenplay, P.T. Anderson. Uh, lost to Alan Ball for American Beauty. Best music original song, uh, Amy Mann, Save Me. Lost to You'll Be My Heart from Tarzan, written by Phil Collins. So, yeah, they can, like, she even knew That's that. a heavy hitter, right? There. Yeah, I listened to a podcast with Amy Mann saying, like, I know it's like she knew she was not going to win. Like, she was in, like, she was in, like, a room full of people she would not be in a room with. It was just really weird for Damn. her. Yeah. But it was not nominated for Best Picture. That's so that's kind, kind of, of a shame. That's kind of a shock. Uh, I think that, I think that was the American Beauty's year. But Side House Rules was nominated. Uh, the Green Mile was nominated. Like, very, very Oscar Beatty movies were nominated, I think. Even though I don't really know I have a good definition of Oscar Beatty movies, but when I think Oscar Bait, I think, like, kind of those movies. The Green Mile's a good movie, but this is, like, transcendent. Yeah. Of the, I mean... Maybe it didn't make the cut. I don't know. Like, I don't know Oscar Bulls. Like, this was released in 1999 in December. Like, named it as a certain point. I don't know. Who it's knows? weird. Yeah, um... So, uh... Ebert gave it four stars, and unfortunately, Cisco died... In 1999, so could not get a review of this. But uh, Joel Siegel, who replaced Cisco, uh, said it was one of the worst movies in 1999. He said it was good for two hours, then it felt uneven after the singing and the fogs. <laughs> Which I can kind of understand, but I, I just felt like the, the whole movie just gives its own emotional weight to it. That, that doesn't even matter. It just seems so simple-minded. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, the, the, we have the advantage of hindsight and seeing how movies have evolved. Um and storytelling, I guess, because I think it's fair to say indie movies have more exposure now than they did. Not indie, but um, auteurs. Auteurs? In the uh, mainstream, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Nobody does. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's give my final thoughts. Uh, our final thoughts, not thoughts. Whatever the fuck I just said. Thoughts. Thoughts, yes. Our final thoughts, that's it. That's the new title. Final that's the new title. That's it. Final thoughts. <laughs> it's going to have no sense, but that's going to be it. Okay, so Magnolia, would I recommend this movie? Fuck yes. And it's 190 fuck yeses. So I would watch this movie. This movie is an experience. Like We always say these movies are experiences. We said this to these whole six movies. And I say it's true. It may sound stupid to us like if you're hearing this and you're saying oh they're saying it's, it's an experience again it is a fucking experience and i was just you go watch this movie i don't care if it's three hours long i don't care about like screw time length screw subtitles screw all that i don't care about it anymore if your movie's great and makes me feel something the way i did by watching this movie i would watch it so i'll give this four out of four stars definitely recommend it yeah i i'll join you in the four out of four stars uh this is a three-hour movie and it feels like it but you will not you will not be disappointed by that, I don't think. Never have I seen a movie that has basically no stakes. There's no real dramatic 
uh, anything that's on the line, I, I suppose. I've never seen a movie with no stakes be so tense and so whiplash speed. Yeah. Things come at you real quick. You, yeah, this is the fastest movie I've ever seen. It, and this it is a, certainly is. Yeah. It I thought it was going to be Boogie Nights, but Boogie Nights wasn't half as fast as this one. No, not at all. There are so many things that happen in this movie that go unattended to later on, but that's the point. That's... In life, you don't always get to see how things end, or, you know, like that murder in the beginning that the officer sees. You don't, you, you never find out what oh, comes yeah. of that. That was played by Orlando Brown, too, the guy who took his gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. was Orlando Brown. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but you never, you don't get closure on everything, but that's not the point. Watch this movie, it will talk to you in some way. You will find some way to relate to this movie. Four stars, yeah. yeah. I've lathered on enough. Go watch it. this movie, yeah. definitely. Okay, time for my Red Buttons MVP. Now, I thought... Is this movie so hard to choose from? Because, like, what, like I said, like, what should be the Red Buttons MVP? I gave it to major characters before. I gave it to minor characters. I gave it to a restaurant one time. Because the pork That's right. That's right. <laughs> what should it be? So, what is Red Button? Red Buttons, in the movie we watched, uh, they shoot horses, don't they? He's a major... He's a minor character who gave a big impression during the film. And maybe that should be the what the award should be or maybe it should be about anything I fucking want who cares whatever you want yes but I thought this over I joke I should give the Patton Oswalt because of the, <laughs> of the beginning of the movie but I think it should go to Philip Seymour Hoffman I think okay. he was the best minor character in this movie I think he was the heart and soul of this movie because he's mm. he's trying to do a noble thing here he's trying to give a dying man his last wish and his last wish is to meet his son and he's trying when I thought he was ordering porn, I thought he was just, oh, like, what is this guy doing? But no, he's actually trying to find his son. Right. So, yeah. He's so I, kind of the glue yeah. between those characters and that storyline, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Between Julianne Moore and Big Earl and Frank, uh, eventually. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Yeah. So, Philip Seymour Hoffman is my Red Buttons MVP of this movie. He's terrific. Okay. So, those are, that's Magnolia. That was And those Magnolia. are all the six movies we've done. So, Tita, what is it time for? It's time for our rankings, Mo. Thank you. Okay, so you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go first, and I'm sick to my stomach. This, First of all, we did a poor job as podcast hosts choosing movies that were of such a high caliber. Uh, I think that it's only fair to pick some that are more... Uh, that that. Obviously, we've never seen them, so it's not fair to assume that we'll like them. Yeah. But at the same time, I liked all six of these movies. And That's I feel true. bad for recommending all six That's because true. you but average peons don't have the time, especially Jeremy, to go sit and watch exactly. these six movies. Yeah, but we're going to be kings of the universe soon once you watch all the movies ever made. So That's true. Yeah, That is true. So, okay. I had a hell of a time ranking most of these. But I didn't have a hell of a time ranking number six. I put Time Bandits at number six. Yeah. You want to go like in order? Like I sure. say one, you say one? I can do that. I, I also, like I also took Time Bandits you, at six. Okay. Yeah. I like Time Bandits. I thought, though, of the six movies that we watched, it was the least taught. It could have been cut by 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it was fun, but I think that it had the least amount of impact on me. Yeah, I think Terry Gilliam wasn't his full Terry Gilliam yet. Sure. So he he didn't really have the budget to do what he wanted to do a lot of times, I'm guessing. I mean, it's only like, what? I think it was like $5 million he had the budget to do or something like $9 million. That sounds about right. So, yeah, but it wasn't like full, like, it wasn't like Fisher King or The Bairns of Mad Munchausen. It wasn't like that. So. Yeah, I would put Time Time Man. It's still a good film, but out of these six films, this would be six, yeah. Yep, agreed. I feel like this... It, it kind of felt like the uh, perfect bridge, though, between Monty Python and Terry Gilliam yeah. as the somewhat auteur. All right, number five, I had Licorice Pizza. Same. Wow. 
Yeah. We just become best friends. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, I We want the four. I hate you. Okay. Uh, but no, Licorice Pizza, this one, see, the rest of these were the, the hard ones to rank. Yeah. Licorice Pizza was a damn good movie, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Something had to take the fifth place. Um, it was a lot of fun to watch, but again, I think uh, the other movies just had more of an impact on me. Yeah, me too. I don't think the same emotion. I, I don't think I had the same emotional impact I had while watching Magnolia. Or, I didn't relate or, as much. Or, yeah, I didn't relate as much. Some of it was really awkward, like the Chinese. We didn't really talk about the guy who's like Michael Higgins, who spoke, who was trying to speak Chinese to his wife by doing it in a <laughs> really racist accent. So stupid. So stupid. Yeah, but I think that's the weakest of the acting doing these Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Even though it's still good acting, I think... No, it's damn good, yeah. Yeah, I think like there were better performances in Boogie Nights and Magnolia, I think, compared to... Unquestionably. Pizza. Unquestionably, yeah. yeah. All right, number four, I had The Fisher King. Same. Oh, my God. We did not like do this together. If yeah, three and two are the same, it's going to be insane. Yeah, The Fisher King was definitely, like... I don't know. I didn't really it mean, was really fucking good. It was really There's fucking no good. There's no knock against the There's no knock against the Is this like... Is this just based going off emotions and when I watch it again, kind of? Like, emotionally, Fisher King was great. It was... There was no pull to it. It was just all in your face and it was great. Mm-hmm. I'm just using buzzwords right now because I kind of wanted to think about the emotions I was doing that during that time. But I would say out of these six movies, this is the fourth movie. It just is. It just it is. It just is. And that's the thing. Like we're we're trying to come up with we're we're basically making word soup here. Yeah. Trying to justify this. There's no reason to. Fisher King, it's number four. Terrific picture. Go see it. Yeah. Number three. Now this is where it gets real dicey, and I've changed it multiple times throughout the show. Number three, I put Boogie Nights. I put Magnolia. Magnolia? Okay. Uh, I was switching between those two to be yeah. honest with you. Okay, so Magnolia like I would watch both Boogie Nights and Magnolia. But I think my emotions doing it, like, I wasn't really having, like, it wasn't, like, fun is not really a word, well, like, I was enjoying the movie, but more fun, I think Boogie Nights was more fun than Magnolia. Like, I would, I would say, like, if I was a, just a regular, I am a regular person, so, if I would choose between one movie, like, I would always choose Boogie Nights over Magnolia, because Magnolia is a great film, I would definitely watch it again. But also, it's three hours long, even though Boogie Nights is 240, but I feel like Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights is more fun. Has better characters, maybe, and you don't really feel the same way about the characters. But I think I don't know. It's just, it's just tough. They're just different characters. It's just diff- it's just you different. still feel the same way yeah. for them in a way. Uh, you despise. There are fewer dis- despisable characters, yeah. if you will, in Boogie Nights. And you're right. And that was the mistake I almost made. By I kept flip flopping the rankings. By the way, of those two. I kept thinking, uh, you know, Boogie Nights was so much more fun. And it is for the first half of it. Yeah. But the second half is still heavy. It's yeah, very heavy. Definitely. Um, yeah, well, I feel like Magnolia was all heavy. There's not really a lot of And there's truth. Pulls, that's but, absolutely yeah. true. I'm using that word, but yeah. No, no, you're, and you're absolutely right. It comes down to what kind of tone you like better. And in my mind, I mean, Magnolia was almost like memento. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was a suspense thriller without any of the, th- you know, actual thriller yeah. stakes elements. Um, again, it doesn't matter. None of these rankings mean anything. We're all going to die one day. Yeah. But Boogie Nights, phenomenal, phenomenal movie. I probably would watch it again. And I was able to relate to these characters that I otherwise wouldn't have, you know. Obviously, with Dirk Diggler, I can relate because I, too, have a gigantic heart. Yeah. Me, too. Yeah, gigantic yeah. heart. Mm-hmm. And a penis. <laughs> Good you, for you. Oh, I don't know. Okay. No. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, but again, it didn't matter. Uh, yeah. I'll so, just go ahead. And, any final thoughts on that? No. And, I think that's the best you could. You, 
you summed up my Ghibli Gook, and that's the best. Yeah. Okay. So two, I have Magnolia. It might be recency bias. Two, I have Boogie Nights. You have Boogie Nights. That's yeah. what I figured. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say. Yeah, we basically said it while doing that. And, and number one, we are best friends. Yes, the events is a band Munchausen. Yeah, I yeah. That movie took me by such surprise. It was just such. I'm just saying I'm gonna say brilliance, but I feel like this is like hack. This is like hack saying like, oh, it's brilliant. It's uh, it's amazing. Like it's this simple buzzwords that people mm-hmm. use, but is that? It just made me feel adventurous, and I love feeling adventurous. This is what movies should be. Mm-hmm. This is what movies should make you feel every time you watch them. Sure. And, these movies did do that, but Band of Munchausen did it the best. Out of I all agree. Them. And it's some of the best practical effects you'll ever see. Like, the most fun, anyway. The most whimsical. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think that that was everything that I wanted to see in a, you know, f- fantasy comedy timepiece Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say much more about it. Very, very uh, high on Baron Munchausen. Yeah, these were tough movies. Fuck yeah, they were. Yeah. Oh, God. Just That's, talking through this, this is like... In retrospect, this is why you do need a Porky's or a Captain America 1990. In yeah, but we're going to watch films that even are good, are considered good, but maybe we don't like. like yeah, maybe no. I'll put a French film that we never heard of that is clearly acclaimed, and maybe we don't like it. Maybe right. I'll put on that three and a half hour, three hours, 30 minute movie about just a French woman in a small room. You know what our problem is, though? And, and I'm just, just going to humble brag about both of us here. We're too open-minded for our own good. I will force myself to try any food sit through an episode of any TV show if somebody tells me there's merit to it and I will try to find something of yeah. merit in it. That said, Porky sucked. Yeah, Porky did suck. Fuck Porky. Yeah, that was awful. And Jeremy. That was terrible. That was yeah. just boring and weird. A and weird, bad movie. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so those are our rankings. So that does it for us today. I would try <sighs> to... I'm gonna I need ch- a nap. Yeah, I know. I'm just gonna be... A hell. I may have to cut like a lot out because we rambled through most of it. But... Um, yeah, so that was Magnolia. Those were the six movies we've done. And next week, we'll be back with another six. Well, that's the end of this episode, then. We've done everything we can possibly do. So, I'm Mo, and I'm the master of getting frisky. And I'm TJ, and despite what I said at the start of this podcast, my past is not through, is through with me, and I will never get my comeuppance. Never. (laughs) All right, that's it, everybody. See you next time, and let's have Robert Mitchum play us out. Bye. Bye. If you like our podcast, then please like, subscribe, follow, or whatever you have to do to listen. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Anchor, and hopefully more podcast streaming services soon. Follow us on Twitter at it underscore damn it, and on our Facebook page, it's still new to us, because Facebook hates us. Thanks for listening.